We're going to move on now in our little service. Um, we're going to have a go at the, uh, the reading from which we'll be, uh, which I will be teaching today. So if you turn to 2 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, and we're going to read the whole chapter, although it's only 18 verses, so it's not too long. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. I'll just give you a moment to find it, if you've got Bibles in front of you. Page 976 in my Bible, if that helps. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Therefore, since through God's mercy we have this ministry, we do not lose heart. Rather, we have renounced secret and shameful ways. We do not use deception, nor do we distort the word of God. On the contrary, by setting forth the truth plainly, we commend ourselves to every man's conscience. In the sight of God. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. The God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For we do not preach ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord and ourselves as your servants for Jesus sake. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. We are hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. We are persecuted, but not abandoned. We're struck down, but not destroyed. We always carry around in our body the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our body. For we who are alive are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that his life may be revealed in our mortal body. So then, death is at work in us, but life is at work in you. It is written, I believed, therefore I have spoken. With that same spirit of faith, we also believe and therefore speak, because we know that the one who raised the Lord Jesus from the dead will also raise us with Jesus and present us with you in his presence. All this is for your benefit, so that the grace that is reaching more and more people may cause thanksgiving to overflow to the glory of God. Therefore, we do not lose heart. Though outwardly we're wasting away, yet inwardly we're being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes, not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. Sometimes I'm really glad when life takes a turn for the worse. In fact, I could say that when I look back at my life, 
The times that I value the most are the times when life has been most difficult. They're not my words, by the way. Before you turn me off, they are Paul's words. And I wonder what you make of them. They come at the back end of this letter of 2 Corinthians. They're not in the section we read, but they're in this letter. 2 Corinthians chapter 11. Paul says there, I delight in weaknesses and in difficulties. I delight in difficulties. I wonder what you make of that. To delight in difficulty. Now, some of you might think, well, that's not too different from what I've heard Anyway, you know, there's lots of talk at the minute about people looking for uh, the the silver lining in every cloud or um, always look on the bright side of life or worse things happen at sea. There's all sorts of ways that people remind themselves to stay positive and look for the good things in life, even when times get difficult. But to say those things is slightly different from what Paul is doing. You see, to say those things is kind of to to ignore the difficulty or maybe to at least acknowledge the difficulty. But really, you're looking past it to see some other positive thing. So I recognize this difficulty here in front of me or on top of me, but I'm looking past it to see the silver lining or to see some other good thing that I can focus on. But what Paul says is I delight in weakness. What Paul says is that it's it's the hurt, it's the loss, it's the persecution and suffering. It's those things that he delights in. It's those things that he values. He's not looking past them to some other thing that he can still appreciate. He's delighting in the hurt, the loss, the suffering, the oppression. How on earth has Paul come to that conclusion? And what we're going to consider tonight, if we are able to follow his thinking, then what conclusions does that lead us to make about the situation that we are in today? Perhaps that relates to coronavirus or perhaps that relates to other things going on in your life right now. Well, 2 Corinthians is is, is packed full of Paul's dealing with difficulty. And in chapter four, the reason I've chosen this chapter is because in this chapter, it gives us perhaps the the clearest explanation of how his thoughts go from recognizing the difficulty to then delighting in those difficulties. And importantly, chapter four comes straight off the back of chapter three, where chapter three is setting out his purpose. So just to give you a little summary of, of what's going on in chapter three. Paul is drawing a contrast between two types of ministry. He says, on the one hand, you've got the ministry of the law, the ministry that Moses brought, for example. Now, this ministry of the law has a certain glory to it. Um, There is, you know, God's law comes with authority. It demands respect. God's law shows itself to be upright in every way. But this ministry, the ministry of the law, is weak in that all it can ever do for you is condemn you. All the ministry of the law can do is show you where you're wrong. And now Paul's saying there's another ministry. Now, this ministry also has glory. It retains the glory that the law had, the glory of authority and uprightness and goodness. But it has a greater glory. 
This is the ministry of the gospel. And the glory of the gospel is the grace of God, the forgiveness offered. And not just the forgiveness and the grace, but also the power that this ministry comes with. This ministry doesn't just tell you where you're wrong. It then gives you the power to be changed. The glory of this ministry is, in short, Paul says, a reflection of the glory of God. Now, what's the relevance of all that? Well, Paul, as an apostle, is saying this ministry is his purpose. This is why he lives. This is why he exists. This is what he works towards each and every day to share the glory of this gospel message. But then chapter three ends by saying this isn't just Paul's purpose. He drags his readers in. He says this is your purpose too. Chapter three, verse 18, if you've got a Bible in front of you, Paul says, and we You and me, we together, all of God's people, we who with unveiled faces all reflect the Lord's glory. God's plan is that the message of the gospel, the glorious message of his love and forgiveness and his power to change lives, is not just a message that's sent out by the apostles and the preachers and the evangelists. It's a message that is sent out by all of God's people. We all become ambassadors for this glorious gospel message. Think about this. How does a brand like Nike, for example, maintain its reputation as a reliable sporting brand? It does it in at least two ways. So one way is it will sponsor uh, and promote different sporting events. So, for example, uh, the the sub-two-hour marathon. Nike made the the special trainers that allowed that to be achieved. Or they might have a monopoly on certain team kit, for example. Uh, The American basketball, uh, you know, all the team jerseys are made by Nike. So in one way, they they promote and sponsor these different sporting events. But they also maintain their reputation through their fashion line of clothing. Thousands and thousands and thousands of items of Nike clothing every day around the world are worn. And every time a piece of that clothing is worn, there is a little logo, maybe on the chest here, maybe on the baseball cap, maybe on the hand of your gloves, maybe on your trousers. Sometimes it's a small logo. Sometimes it's a huge thing taking up the whole garment. And every time that logo is worn, the person wearing it becomes a walking, talking, speaking billboard. And the logo carries a message with it that even without words is able to say, This person trusts the reputation of Nike for making quality clothes. And I'm proud of it, so I'll wear it on my chest. How does God share his glorious gospel? How does God make his reputation known? Yes, he does it through preachers and teachers and evangelists. He does it when the Bible is opened and taught to other people. But he also does it through his thousands upon thousands upon thousands of ambassadors who become walking, talking billboards for his glory every single day of their lives. How does that happen? The answer's simple, really. It's nothing novel, nothing that you won't have heard before if you've been a Christian a while. Chapter 3, verse 18 says, 
We're, we're carrying out this glory. We're reflecting this glory as we are being transformed into his likeness with ever increasing glory. The more we become like Jesus, the more we become like him, the more accurately we reflect his glory. The more we become like Jesus, the brighter that glory shines in our lives. The more we become like Jesus, the closer we get to achieving the purpose that God that God has set us apart for, sharing his glory. How does this glory relate to our difficulties? Because remember, that's what we're thinking about this evening. Now, how do we delight in difficulties? How does this glory relate to our difficulties? In two ways. First, it doesn't exempt us from difficulty. Why should it? Think about who Christ was and how he lived. Wasn't he a man of sorrows? Wasn't he familiar, acquainted with grief and suffering and rejection? If that was Christ's pattern of life, why should it be any different for each of his ambassadors? Why should it be any different for those who are seeking to reflect him, for those who are becoming like him? So having this glory doesn't exempt us from the difficulties of life. But equally, the difficulties of life cannot steal this glory. If, if your purpose of life is built around and centred around your family, then when grief comes, you will feel crushed. Because grief takes away all that you were living for, if your family is the very centre and driving purpose of your life. If the purpose of your life centres and focuses on your reputation, then persecution can seem like absolute abandonment. From those that you trusted. If your purpose of life centers around the control and power that you are able to exercise over the different details in your life or perhaps the different people in your life, if your purpose in life centers around control, then when you lose that control, it can feel like cause for despair. You've lost all that you were striving for. If your purpose in life, if your highest ambition is long life and an easy life, wealth and success, then when a health scare comes, it can feel like destruction is standing at the door. But if your purpose is to glorify God by being a reflection of Jesus Christ, then although you grieve, you will not be crushed. Although you are persecuted, you will know you are not abandoned. Although things are out of your control, you know there is no need to despair. And although you may even be dying, you know that this is not your destruction. 
Because your goal, your ambition, your purpose is something far greater. It's something far beyond. Your goal is to glorify God. And you can achieve that through, despite, in those difficulties that you face. Yes, very real difficult, very real difficulties. Things that really do hurt. Things that really do take time to heal and to process and to work through. Things that you really do need help with. Yes, but you're still able to achieve your purposes in them. And really, when you think about it, what better way to reflect the glory of Christ is there than to walk faithfully through suffering? What did Christ do with his life, if not remain faithful to God, even throughout repeated and continued rejection? What did Christ do with his life, if not be compassionately generous to others, even when he didn't have a place to lay his own head? What did Christ do with his life, if not consider first the welfare of those around him, even when the threat to his own life was highest? So the first step in dealing with the difficulties that life throws at us is to recognise and remember, what is my purpose here? What has God set me apart to do? Now, someone might say, look, it's all well and good saying that my purpose in life is to glorify God. But what benefit does that have for me? And why should I continue glorifying God, even if my glorifying him leads me straight into the lion's den? Why should I continue? Why should I persevere? Ask yourself, does a soldier ever really fight for his queen and country? When he's on the front line, when the enemy is staring him in the face, eyeball to eyeball, does he engage in that battle for the sake of some higher authority that he has never really met? Or does he engage in that battle to save his own life? Is there some benefit in it? For him. What motivation is there then to seek God's glory? Even when it seems to have led us into a corner, trapped by circumstance or or even an enemy. Well, in chapter four, verse 13 to 15, Paul's argument is seeking God's glory actually does bring you benefit. Only you might not see that benefit before you taste death itself. Verse 14, what keeps Paul going is the promise that for those whose lives are empowered and changed by the spirit of God, for those who are living to glorify him. There is the promise that one day that spirit, that spirit that is changing us to become more like Christ, that spirit that is building the glory of God in our lives, that spirit will one day work its full power. And raise us from the dead and bring us into the presence of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. All that is glorious about Jesus Christ, his love, his humility, his truth, his authority, his kindness. All that is glorious about him, you will one day be able to see without hindrance or shadow or distraction and you will enjoy it. Forever and ever. Isn't that a prize worth 
persevering for. That's what keeps Paul going. If you recognize your purpose, and if you recognize the hope that you have, then you have all the ingredients there to come to the same conclusions as Paul did. Remember what conclusion are we working towards? I delight in difficulty. Remember your purpose. Remember your hope. And you get to verse 16. Therefore, we do not lose heart. Therefore, whatever, whatever adversity, whatever suffering, whatever I have lost, whatever fear, we do not lose heart. Though outwardly we're wasting away, yet inwardly we're being renewed day by day. Whatever situation Paul finds himself in, he knows that it has no grip on his ultimate purpose, nor on his ultimate hope. No amount of persecution can separate him from the love of God. No amount of adversity can prevent him from being more like Christ day by day. No amount of debt or poverty can steal the promise of salvation that he has. And so he doesn't lose heart. Because whatever he has lost, that's not what he was working for anyway. And whatever people reject him, well, those are not the people he was seeking to please anyway. And whatever difficulty he faces, he can then say it is but a light and momentary trouble, a light and momentary affliction compared to the weight of glory that is waiting for him. So Paul doesn't lose heart in his difficulties, but he's also able to delight in his difficulties. Because his difficult circumstances, far from being a hindrance to him, far from stealing his goal, actually can become a catalyst to help him achieve those goals. Chapter one, Paul has already described to us how his suffering has taught him how to trust in God more closely. And here in chapter four, verse 11 or verse 16 or, or throughout, really, you can you can see the way that Paul says, the more that my life mimics the death of Christ, the more that I follow that pattern of rejection and suffering and difficulty. Then the more the power of Christ's resurrection is seen in me. The darker the outward circumstance, the brighter the inward light. Paul's difficulties become an opportunity to become more like Christ. They become an opportunity to take one step closer to his goal, rather than being a hindrance to them. How are you responding then to this situation that you find yourselves in? Most people are hoping, fingers crossed, just a few more weeks to persevere and then we'll be out of it. Something to endure. Let's try and look for the positives amidst all this mess. I can catch up on some of my reading. I can watch a few more films. I can take up a new hobby. Whatever it might be. But if you view this whole situation through gospel lenses, you'll begin to realize that, okay, those weeks of isolation where it's just you and your family cooked up in, in a little 
house on the hill. That can either be a time of immense frustration or it can be an opportunity to grow more Christ-like. How are you going to deal with that situation? Are you going to hide yourself away in the opposite corner of the house, avoiding the kids, avoiding your wife, avoiding your husband? Or are you going to work at loving your wife, helping her, caring for her, engaging with your children, taking time to deal with them, being patient with your husband and all the ways that he frustrates you? Will you grow more Christ-like? When you go to the shops and you see the empty shelves, how do you respond to that situation? Do you allow it to become your new favourite grumble? Do you use it as a point of contact with your neighbour, something to complain about over the fence? Or do you allow it to become an opportunity to grow in Christ-likeness? To grow in contentment and thankfulness for what you do have and what God has blessed you with? An opportunity to to trust God and care for others by not taking more than you need. That's not a political point, by the way. I'm, I'm genuinely trying to ask you, how are you going to respond to this real and difficult situation? What about the extra time you've got available to yourself? Can that be a chance for you to grow in areas of self-control? Or will it be a time... The devil steals from you and uses to your harm. What about the reminder that we have of our mortality and our weakness? Is that an occasion for fear? Or is it an opportunity for you to really assess where where are you placing your trust? What are you hoping in? Are you trusting Christ? Is your salvation sure? Is your hope certain? If we recognise our purpose and recognise our hope, our difficulties need not be a hindrance to us, but an opportunity to grow more Christ-like. How are you going to remember that tomorrow, Wednesday, Friday? Well, verse 18, Paul says, we've got to fix our eyes on what is unseen, not not on what is seen. You've got to remind yourself daily. Preach the gospel to yourself. Pick up this passage again and have another look. Use Christian music in your home to remind yourself of gospel truth. Because if you just allow yourself to be influenced by the world, you'll pick up their philosophy once again. Always look on the bright side. Try and look past the difficulty. Try and ignore them. And it's not getting us any closer to our goal. Let's pray. Our Lord God, we thank you for your goodness to us. Thank you for the truth that you are able to work through us whatever situation we find ourselves in. And we pray for ourselves that you would help us take this gospel reminder to heart, that we might be fixing our eyes not on what is unseen, but on what is uh, not on what is seen, but what is unseen, that we might be using these even difficult opportunities to grow more like Christ each day and be a more accurate reflection of his glory. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.